The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest and member of the Society of St. Pius V. He's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Very fine time. Yourself? Doing well. Thanks for being here. Good. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Yep. I am uh, glad to be here as well, Father. We've got a lot to talk about. There's definitely a lot going on in the world today. Um, one thing in particular that, that we both wanted to mention, this is, has been in the news a lot lately, is uh, this kind of statue toppling uh, wave we've kind of seen just, just covering the, the U.S. right now where we, we see this every day. It seems there's, there's some kind of new story that comes out about uh, in some city or, or state uh, capital or anywhere really where you see any kind of statue or, uh, or anything of some kind of historical uh, American historical figure uh, such as Christopher Columbus. Uh, you even mentioned Frederick Douglass. Um, we see all of these statues being toppled, being thrown into the harbor, being smashed to bits, smashed to pieces uh, by all, all of these uh, rioters and so-called protesters. What, what do you make of all of this, Father? What are your thoughts on that? Well, this is what Marxism does. I mean, this isn't about black or white. This is, uh, this is pure and simple Marxism. Uh, Marx's fundamental principle for progress was to destroy. Uh, destroy everything. Destroy the status quo. Raise it to the ground, okay? Not R-A-I-S-E, but R-A-Z-E. Raise it to the ground. Uh, burn it to the ground, smash it to the ground, smash it to bits. This was Marx's formula for progress, of course. And this is all that leftists can do. Leftists can't really build anything but tyranny. They, they can only tear down the good things that others build. <clears throat> but they're very good at it. They, they specialize at it. Because they have such uh, impious rage. They consider the greatest virtue. Leftists consider the greatest virtue to be outrage. Outrage at what they perceive to be injustice. Right. And so they, they sort of uh, canonize themselves because they are so virtuous that they are incensed at anything that they can denounce as injustice. And it sort of ratifies their, their self-image, that they're really good people, you know. And the more enraged they can be, the, the better they are. And the more they can accomplish, the more they can destroy. <clears throat> so, you know, some people are saying this is attached to the... Uh, uh, the George uh, Floyd death, and, so, and, and it's not. I mean, uh, there are many, many more uh, black men and women and children who have died since uh, George Floyd at the hands of the black mob, actually. Uh, we look at Atlanta recently. We see what's happening in Chicago recently. Democratic-run yeah. run cities, okay? And uh, the level of violence there. Uh, Governor uh, Kemp down in uh, Georgia just called in the National Guard. Things were so completely out of hand in Atlanta. <clears throat> and uh, if they had a uh, Republican governor in Illinois, they probably would do the same thing for Chicago, which is, again, completely out of control, it seems. Um, but uh, the whole idea is to tear down the uh, monuments of the past. See, the idea is to destroy the past. 
I mean, what difference does it make? Is, is there a difference in George Washington and Frederick Douglass, Christopher Columbus, Rivera Serra, you know, anything, or the elk they decided to tell, the statue of the elk they decided to tear down. They just love to tear it down. This is what leftists do, this is what Marxists do. And uh, their um, cheerleading squad, the Democratic Party, cheers them on and actually says that this is very important for them to do this. It's very, very effective means of communication and expression and so on. And so they're, if they're not out there actively tearing these things down, these monuments of the past, they are in the, in the bleachers cheering them on, okay, uh, like the, their team. And um, it is basically a, just part of the, the, the leftist program. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> there are so many um, whites and blacks, um, white people and black people, who are outraged and horrified by what they're seeing, these people do. And um, the lot, lot of them who are doing the uh, destruction of these, uh, of these monuments um, are white people as well as black people. You know, the one thing they have in common is they're leftists. And uh, they believe that they're, uh, they validate their existence somehow by expressing their rage against anyone and everything that gets in their way. <clears throat> it's almost like recreation for them. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Although I guess we could call it well, recreation really means recreation, but for them it's W-R-E-C-K, recreation. This is their, this is their uh, mantra, this is their, their uh, model that Marx has set for them in his so-called philosophy. And, and uh, it's a very evil thing. Why, why is there such a sweeping notion that, that we need to kind of appease this, this angry mob? Though? You know, you see everywhere now um, that... that Sports teams are, are wanting to, to change their names. The Washington Redskins want to change their name because that's so offensive now. The Cleveland Indians want to change their name. We see universities uh, and, and institutions all across America wanting to, to change their names and, uh, you know, kind of just appease this, this angry well, I have wild a theory. Mob. I have a theory about that. What is it? It's, it's just <laughs> well, when people lose the real faith, they lose real virtue. They have a real lack of a sense of what real virtue is. And when they see some people who are so passionate about something, about something they, they insist, even with the most ridiculous reasons or, or lack of reasons, but they find that they're just so passionate about it, there are people who actually admire that because they, there's an emptiness in them, themselves, as far as uh, any dedication for anything, any devotion to anything. They see people who are very devoted to what they call social justice and, and so on and so forth. And so they think, well, they'll get on the bandwagon because it fills kind of a void in themselves. Um, I, I think it's uh, a, a lack of real faith, real supernatural faith in people. And, uh, and the real lack of a moral, moral character. I think it's a lack of moral character in people. Uh, honestly, due to a lack of faith, and uh, that this, this, this abscess of moral character in people leads them to kind of attach themselves almost like parasites to those who are uh, filled with passion for some cause, even if it's something very evil and wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, it has the veneer of righteousness and uh, self-righteousness. And that can be very infectious for people who feel a void of any real moral conviction moral purpose. It, it, this kind of fills that void and makes them think that, yes, 
I'll, I'll join that bandwagon and um, I'll, I'll show my, my uh, upstanding character by, by screaming with the mob. Why would people who had witnessed miracles cry out, crucify him, crucify him, right? That's a mystery, isn't it? Truly a mystery. But uh, it can happen. And so you get people uh, today who are joining the mob now, too. Hmm. And maybe they don't think of it in those terms, but that's exactly what they are saying when they're... It, this is ultimately anti-Christ and anti-Christian. This is where the mob is going right now. Mm -hmm. This is where the leftists will take everyone. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> not, not to get uh, too far off topic, Father, but it's interesting that, that you mentioned that. I, I've read reports that kind of corroborate that idea that um, in regards to Islam. Mm. I've read that, uh, you know, that the number yeah. of, of converts to Islam has, has exploded. And uh, one of the, the main reasons given is that, you know, people, especially in the West, but really all over the world now, there's just, there's no kind of strict moral mm -hmm. code with anyone. And, you know, every, it's kind of in our human nature to, to, uh, to want something like that, something that we can actually devote ourselves to and something that we can actually commit to. And, you know, the the major religions of the world today, uh, you don't really see that in, in any of them. And so people now, yeah. they see that in Islam, they see this very strict moral code. People are impressed by yeah. conviction. And they meet somebody with conviction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. If they have none or very light convictions of their own. Well, I mean, there are those who would say, well, the NFL, that's like a religion unto itself, right? But of course, it's not satisfying. So it needs more than that. So it needs a cause. Yeah. <clears throat> Here we have kneeling during the national anthem. Okay, so all of a sudden now, uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago before people, before a lot of football fans were absolutely horrified by it and wanted nothing to do with it. And the NFL was losing a lot of popularity. Now the tables are, are turned. It's like the reverse now. And you ask yourself, how did that happen? Like practically overnight, from was in one season to the next. The media has a lot to do with it. I mean, the people of the, the press, the media today, are basically leftists. Um, what percentage? <laughs> it's, I don't know, but I would think 95% of the, of the people in the media who are actually doing their reporting are leftists. And they are, again, cheer, cheering for the leftist cause. And uh, this is the message that is getting out to the people. But the NFL certainly has bitten on this, and uh, I can, I'm sure that there are a lot of people who are disgusted by it and, and find it not only offensive, but find it uh, revolting and uh, and even alarming. You know? But uh, you're not going to hear about them. You're not going to be allowed to hear from them. You're going to hear the party line, and the party line is going to come from the commissioner. <laughs> and uh, the advertisers who are being bludgeoned into submission, <clears throat> the cheering for the Black Lives Matter people, even when they're calling for the destruction of the statues of our in national heritage. By the way, I mean, not, there are plenty of statues in this country that represent persons I would not hold up as an ideal to mm -hmm. anyone, right? Um, and I won't go into detail about that. And the, some of those statues have been smashed too. But um, even though, you know, I, I, some of these people depicted in the statues were not moral paragons of moral virtue yeah. and uh, following the law, the natural law of God or the positive law of God, uh, nonetheless, the, the animus behind smashing the statues is even more, is more evil still. Um, 
And it is um, amazing that we have uh, major corporations now who, who just kowtow to this, even as these people are on a rampage, destroying so much of the heritage of this, of this country, because they want to destroy the country itself. They, they have been so filled with venom in their education against the United States of America, <clears throat> and they are so ignorant of its history, okay, <clears throat> that they don't know what they're doing. They don't know whose statue. You'd ask them, if you were to ask them, well, who, who is this? They, many of them probably couldn't even tell you. Um, they don't care, okay? But the fact that you have CEOs and boards of directors of major corporations who are speaking, uh, publicly defending them and cheering them on and expecting us to uh, then buy their products and support them as they are supporting those who are attacking our country, our faith. Uh, well, maybe they just think that we're, we're as mindless, mindless as the mob and we'll go along with them. But, uh, and many of them will. Many of us, many will, but I don't think traditional Catholics will. I pray not, anyway. Right. They know better. They should know better. <clears throat> well, Father, let's uh, let's switch gears to the uh, coronavirus, COVID nineteen crisis. You know, we heard a lot about the uh, the second wave that that was coming for us. Where do we stand with that now? Do you think we've uh, think we've seen the second wave? So this is another example of the cacophony of voices. Not only do you get experts contradicting you, this is like death by experts. It's like <laughs> death by experts. It's sort of like waterboarding or, or water torture, death by experts. Every time an expert speaks up, they contra he contradicts an expert who just spoke, right? And, and the right. one who comes after us contradicts the other one. Yes. And this completely undermines confidence people have. You know, I mean, we have this uh, Antonio Fauci, um, who has some great status uh, as the great guru of, you know, health, uh, respiratory health, and yet has been wrong over and over again, over and over again. But it doesn't matter because it doesn't matter whether you're right. It's just a matter that, um, so you get the media, you know, you get the microphone. And whatever you say at the moment is gospel truth, right? <laughs> and uh, even though you're contradicting yourself within a matter of a week, as he has done repeatedly, but uh, but it's it's like the all of these medical experts they they're trotting out you know in front of us. The fact is there are some of them who are certainly right and some of them who are certainly wrong. But you get the same expert who contradicts himself one week to the next, so then you got a problem. Okay. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but there are some who have been very very consistent, and the ones who've been very very consistent have have told us well they're telling us that this is not a second wave. Even Antonio Fauci is saying that it's not a second wave. He said we're still in the first wave. So the second wave hasn't even hit, although the second wave is going to be much worse, we're told. <clears throat> but again, we're hearing that the media is ramping everything up. Again, trying to create uh, just fear, panic, hysteria among the people and uh, keep everybody in check, uh, subject to more and more regulations again. Uh, get back, you know, under the bed and, and go back into hiding again. It seems to be the message they're trying to get across to people. But we're hearing that, I mean, notice that the, the attacks right now seem to be focusing on Florida and Texas, okay? Mm -hmm. And they're both governed by conservative Republican governors, see, who opened up the states, and now they're being, going to be punished by being shown how, despite the fact that we've had these riots, we've had so many demonstrations going on around the country, 
And, uh, you know, it's okay to be shouting and screaming in the face of the police and the rioters shouting. It's not okay to sing in church, okay? You can't sing a hymn in church because that's certain death, okay? Um, then we're told, no, you can't. If you're going to allow rioters to shout and scream uh, slogans and profanities uh, and, and defend their right to do that, you have to allow singing in church because you can't be more restrictive against the churches than you are about rioting. I think this sets a bad, this is a very bad argument because <clears throat> the churches have a special status mm -hmm. to say, <clears throat> well, you don't require that of businesses. You're imposing about churches things that you're not imposing about businesses and you're not imposing about rioters. And we should regard the churches at least as being equal before the law, but they're not. They never were. They should never be that. That's a, that's a real come down to make an argument like that. The churches actually have a specially protected status, uh, from businesses and rioters and so on. And, uh, so I think we need to, uh, reassert that even before the Supreme Court. But in any case, to get back to your point here, <clears throat> I think the, uh, the numbers in these states are being ramped up. Um, you notice that when the, we first got reports of these things going on back in March, we, in early April, even April, they had to empty out the surgical wards and prepare to receive this massive influx of coronavirus patients who were going to flood the hospitals. And uh, this was what we were afraid of. We had to flatten the curve, we were told. Well, now we have the hospitals in uh, Texas and in Florida and they are now taking patients. They're, ta they're take treating cancer patients and they're doing surgeries. And they have their normal, shall we say, normal workload, normal load of patients. And uh, now they have the coronavirus patients in addition to all of the regular patients. It's not as though they've, they've emptied out all the hospitals and now filled the hospitals with coronavirus patients. They're talking about now filling the uh, emergency room uh, and uh, intensive care units uh, to capacity, and uh, but this is over and above this, the normal patients that they would have been treating anyway. This is nowhere near what they were predicting back in, in April. Nowhere near that to begin with. And not only that, we're told that uh, as often as you go in to get tested, if people go to, they're tested multiple times, each time they're counted as another, another infection. <clears throat> The thing that we're supposed to be looking at, they say, is not the rate of infection because that depends on somebody, the number of tests that are being administered. They're ramping up the testing. Of course, you test more people, you're going to find more cases, <laughs> obviously. They say, oh, look, they're doing a great job testing more and more people, but look, the number of infections is going higher and higher. <laughs> you, think, you know, you begin to realize somebody's not figuring this out. Either they're being dishonest or they're just, you know, this is ridiculous. Um, but... Um, of course you're going to expect right. the rate of infection to increase in terms of numbers if you're going to be testing more people. <clears throat> but we're told that what you should be looking at is the number of people who are actually dying. And uh, the fact is, as the numbers, the raw numbers of people who are being tested and found positive, are going up, necessarily so, inevitably so, the number of deaths is going down dramatically. The number of deaths is de declining dramatically. <clears throat> and um, tr people are being treated better. Uh, people are, uh, oh, the, sometimes Italian doctors actually were saying that the virus seems to be losing its, uh, its power, you know, it's uh, kind of slowing down here. 
<coughs> maybe we are achieving herd immunity. But now again, you know, you get Dr. Fauci coming out and again, ramping everything up again, saying, well, we don't know if herd immunity is even possible. And when we do have a vaccine, it might not really uh, render immunity for very long because the virus is continually changing. And some other experts are coming in saying, well, we're going to have to be wearing masks for years into the future, you know. And eventually people are getting a little tired of, of being uh, of the snake oil salesman. And that seems to be, I mean, I'm sorry, but it, it just gets to the point where you just really have a crisis of, of uh, credulity mm -hmm. <laughs> with these, you know, it, 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 you just really lose a lot of confidence in, uh, in, in what they're saying is, oh, it's more politically motivated than medically motivated right. or a matter of health. Mm -hmm. So I'm just venting there again, giving an opinion <laughs> on the matter. But uh, I, I, you know, people get the idea that they're being manipulated and they're being told there's no hope. Uh, we're going to invest billions of dollars in getting a vaccine. We're not going to try it first. We're going to start giving it to people and see what happens to them. We're going to vaccinate the whole world. And we're going to uh, then hope for the best. And it probably won't last very long anyway. Right? This is what we're being told by right. these so-called medical experts. Yeah. And I, I don't blame people for being more than skeptical mm -hmm. about and that. And to your point, Father, just one striking example of that that I, I just recently witnessed a, a day or two ago. One very, very major website uh, just the other day, their headline was, was something like the United States of Infection. And they have oh. this kind of map with all these, you know, hotspot areas highlighted mm. all over the U.S. And uh, this, the same day, you go to another website and their headline is uh, exactly the opposite, saying how the, the coronavirus, COVID-19, the, the cases, the infections are down 95.5%, how we hit our peak weeks or months and months ago and uh it's just nosedived and this is not even a a, a problem at all anymore mm -hmm. and you know the average person reading this what what in the world are they supposed to think you know mm -hmm. someone how, how are we supposed just the average american how are we supposed to to verify one or the other and like you said seeing the, these just constant contradictions like this it doesn't inspire any confidence at all in, in our in our media and our politicians and our well, leaders the trouble is it, it undermines confidence in even the medical field you yeah, know, if you have these the experts, what definitely. the experts are saying. Yeah. And when they, when they contradict themselves, even, you know, you mentioned one, one site, another site, yeah. one expert, another expert. When, when the same expert comes out and says, well, actually, we're, we probably have a, an infection rate much higher than anything we know because we're only testing so many people. We're finding that of the numbers of people we test, so many of them, a certain percentage of them, let's say, are infected, are positive. We extrapolate that for the entire population. And there are hundreds of thousands of cases that we don't even know about that are out there, people that are infected. And then you realize you're saying, well, you're saying these people are infected, but we don't know about them because they're asymptomatic. Yeah. And that means you double the number of infections. You've just halved, you've just cut in half the death rate, the number of people dying for infection. Yeah. And you multiply the number of infections like tenfold. You've just uh, you know, divided, you, you, you've reduced the number of the death rate, as it were, from the infection by a factor of 10. And you realize, my goodness, this is, uh, the death rate is going way down. This is not nearly as deadly as we were told it would be. Yeah. So they're, they're playing with these figures and they're trying to get you convinced, well, the number of infections is astronomical and look, the, the death rate is awful. 
And they're, they're, they're two figures that are mutually, you know, they're inversely proportional right. to each other, so to speak, you know. Um, but they want you to believe both at the same time. It's like juggling figures. Yeah. So yeah. Um, it, it makes it very hard to um, take seriously what they say. I mean, I, I think people want to an informed opinion and they want to give their informed consent to things and they want to do what is right. And uh, they don't want to endanger themselves, their loved ones, or their neighbors. But they, they're just losing confidence in, uh, right across the board. Mm -hmm. Well, how, how should we react to all of this madness, Father? What are, what are we supposed to do when we hear one expert saying it's the end of the world, the other expert saying it's no big deal? Um, we just, we're just Americans. We just want to live our lives. Uh, I, I would just say, live your life. You know, people say, well, be safe. And I would say, well, be free. You know, yeah. safety and freedom go together. Because they say more people have died of the coronavirus who have not, who have never been infected by it. More people have yeah. died of it just because yeah. of the pressures and the anxieties and, mm -hmm. and depression and all the rest. Yeah. And you're not hearing too much about those figures. Yeah. The virus has killed more people by, who are not infected by it. I, I recently uh, just heard some, some numbers. Just because of political, political maneuvers. Yeah, yeah. I, I recently heard some numbers and statistics relating to suicide and yeah. how uh, since the, all, all of these stay-at-home orders and, and all of that and, you know, people being laid off from work and all the quarantine and everything, that suicide numbers have just shot mm -hmm. through the roof. Mm -hmm. And so certainly there's some kind of correlation there, uh, mm -hmm. like you said, with all the depression and anxiety and everything. So. I think we have to use our own common sense. No, I really do. Um, I think we have to use our own common sense and uh, <laughs> what, what does that mean in the, in the practical order? Well, I don't know. In my case, you know, if I go into a, if I'm on an airplane flight, they demand you wear a mask to get on the flight, then I will yeah. for the sake of getting to where I need to go to administer the sacraments to people. But I will tell you that it's never been a pleasant experience. Uh, the friendly skies. Uh, I'm not sure where they are, like, uh, but they're not, you know, in this hemisphere uh, that I can see. But anyway, um, and you put a mask on now, I feel the effect of that. You know, rebreathing, uh, you know, the, the, the carbon dioxide builds up. It builds up, you're breathing, but you're breathing out, you know, your uh, whatever microbes, you know, it does have an effect. And I feel, begin to feel sick, I begin to feel dizzy, right? Then they say, well, you have to leave them on unless you're eating or drinking. Then they bring you things to eat and drink. Okay? <laughs> um, and so, you know, but you have to come up for air, you know. And um, I, I just find it necessary to, to dispense with that mask at times just to come up for air, to breathe, so yeah. I can feel steady on my feet. And I'm sure that's true of a lot of people. So uh, I think we just have to have to use common sense and uh, not allow ourselves to be <laughs> maneuvered or manipulated into, uh, you know, what should I say, nonsense, doing nonsensical things. Now, there are times when we have to accept things that we believe are nonsense just for the sake of, well, avoiding an evil, a greater evil, you know. But, um, and it takes a prudence in order to do yeah. that. But to pray for that. <clears throat> but there are people who are taking a stand on, on things that I, I, I agree, I agree that these things are not reasonable and not uh, necessary. But they're taking their stands in things where I, where I think it's off the track and kind of trivializes the real issue. 
And uh, I think they need to, uh, you know, focus on what is really essential and where to take that stand. Heaven knows we're being pushed to the wall, though, by Antifa and Black Lives Matter and all these. You know, I, I never, I never understood who, who appointed this Antifa group to speak for the American people. Who appointed the Black Lives Matter people to speak for Black American people? Who appointed these people? Where did they come from? Who makes them think that they have the ability, they have the right to speak for the Black Americans? A lot of the American Black people don't want, don't agree with them. You know, don't agree with them at all. Um, so I'm, I'm just amazed by this. I mean, I know I'm getting off the track here again, but uh, we, our last program, we talked, uh, well, last time we had a, had a program about the Catechism, the Fourth Commandment, mm -hmm. but uh, the program before then, we were talking about BLM, and, uh, and I, I mentioned, you know, they, they really do not uh, stand for all black lives. They don't. You know, so for them, some black lives matter, generally their own. But uh, some uh, black people themselves have actually stood up and, f and faced them down and challenged the Black Lives Matter people, challenged them on the, on the question of the hundreds of thousands of, of uh, black babies being aborted every year. Hundreds of thousands of black lives don't matter to these Black Lives people. In fact, some of the babies who are being aborted might be their children, children they've actually sired. They're being murdered in the abortion clinics. But they're not going to go down to Planned Parenthood and protest the hundreds of thousands of black lives that are put to death every year, those little babies dying in the womb. So what does this make of these people? You know, what moral right do they have to speak for black people? If they were, if they were honest and had a shred of decency uh, and they were not absolute hypocrites, they'd be down at the Planned Parenthood right now. That's where they'd be expressing their outrage, uh, where there are tens, tens of thousands for sure. I believe if you looked into it, you'd probably find, well, you know, the, the black people in America represent about 13.4% of the population, about 13.5% of the population. And yet black women are five times more likely, the, the abortion rate is five times greater for black women, five times greater for a black child to be to be murdered by abortion. And why aren't the BLM, why aren't they down there at the abortion clinics protesting that? Again, I'm, I'm afraid that uh, it's because it's, it's in many cases their own children whom they're putting to death and they want them dead <coughs> in abortions. Um, this is the tragedy of it all, really. <laughs> but you know, um, but, I, but I'll be down there, you know, and so many others of our own traditional Catholic people down there protesting this. Uh, protesting abortion of all children, black and white. And, um, you know, somebody said to me once, well, what do you care? You know, you're white. You know, what do you care about black children being aborted? And I said, well, if you don't understand that, it's pretty much impossible for me to, under to explain it to you. But I'll tell you what, the question is not why I, as a black, as a white person, <clears throat> am horrified at the thought of a black child being aborted, the, the question is why you aren't. Why aren't you horrified by that? Why don't you care about that? You're a black man or a black woman. Why don't you care about that? That's the question. That's, that's the outrageous reality that we're facing with these people. But uh, So uh, in any case, 
Um, I know we've gone a little far afield here, but uh, I guess it's one of my more than pet peeves. It's, it's one of the great mysteries of the day. Mm-hmm. We, we need to uh, stand up for what we believe is right, take a stand in those areas where we believe it is essential, and uh, where it really is a matter we, where we cannot budge, uh, as a matter of principle. Um, yield where we can, okay, but for only for the sake of gaining the great victory. You know, uh, to make a tactical withdrawal during a battle is not a sign of weakness. It can be a sign of strength because what you're doing, if you make a tactical withdrawal, you're doing it for the reason of having the ultimate victory. So there are sometimes we have to give in order to ultimately win the, win the battle. In this case, we do here. Like, for example, when we get on the airplane, we put on the mask because ultimately it's necessary to take the sacraments to people who need it. We're willing to do that. We have the example of our Lord himself leading the way to show us, okay? And uh, how this was, it's absolutely necessary. It's a matter of humility. It's a matter of what we're willing to do and what cross we're willing to carry for our Lord for the ultimate good. Uh, we, can do it. we cannot do anything sinful, clearly, right? Uh, that's, that's a matter of uh, course. I hope everybody would realize that. Um, but anyway, um, maybe, maybe uh, we should talk a little bit more about this mask thing, because it's become now the, the go-to uh, method, right? Now, <laughs> now that is going to save us from the, the evil virus. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> putting on the mask is the great, the great answer, right? Right, that's right. Yeah. In fact, you were, you were pointing out something earlier today about what was going on, what we were talking about was going on in Texas with Governor Abbott down there, mm-hmm. mandating the masks. Right. And you were telling me something about that just happened in the last 24 hours here in Ohio. Right? Yeah, just, just recently, I, I believe it was uh, yesterday, maybe, maybe two days ago, um, here in Cincinnati, the, the Cincinnati City Council passed an ordinance uh, requiring masks i believe within all indoor public uh spaces within within city limits i believe it it passed seven to two or something like that um reading through it there's a lot of uh kind of vague wishy-washy language in there there's a lot of exceptions uh for for children if you're eating or drinking if there if it poses some kind of health risk to you um so on and so forth and uh, they they kind of you know throughout the whole process of this uh, of, of this ordinance that they were working on, on on passing there at city council they kind of repeated that you know we're not actually going to enforce this it's not really uh, it's kind of more just a suggestion type thing and some of the, uh, the the city council members who opposed this they kind of questioned well if you're not going to enforce it what is the point why do we need to do this is this mm-hmm. not you know a, a, a private matter maybe for the health department maybe um, just creates but, confusion again. yeah mm-hmm. so just a lot of confusion and then so i believe it was today or, or yesterday that uh, the cincinnati police department said that they are not going to enforce this there was supposedly a 25 dollars fine i think that the city council was going to impose and the police department said they're not going to enforce that uh, so there, we had that with with. Uh, and why, why not? I mean, they, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, they uh, they well as 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 one uh, I believe was the Butler County Sheriff said uh, that they're not going to enforce it because we're not the mask police. I believe was his quote. We're not he the said, mask police. Yeah, okay. he said that uh, you, you know this is a health department initiative. This is a health issue. If the health department wants to 
uh, kind of implement all of these rules, then the health department needs to enforce them. He said well, something the, like they, they can get a little yellow light on their cars and they can drive around. We need giving, the health giving, police. So. <laughs> yeah, well, I hope they don't take that too seriously. So, uh, but, but we had that yeah. in Cincinnati. And then I, I believe it was just a matter of hours ago that uh, Governor DeWine came out and, and issued his own ordinance for select counties in Ohio, kind of some, some hot spots, one of them being Hamilton County, Cincinnati. Mm. Um, and his, his ordinance is similar, but there are definitely some, some differences there. His, uh, his age limit is different. Um, his fine that he, that he had attached to is, is, is different. I, I mean, the, uh, for, for children. I believe the city of Cincinnati ordinance said that any children uh, under six were not required to wear this mask. And then Governor DeWine's mandate says that any children under 10 are not required to wear a mask. I believe the, the city of Cincinnati uh, penalty, the fine was $25. I think Governor DeWine's was 50 or $60. So th there's a lot of strange uh, discrepancies. And, and again, you know, police departments have come out and said, we're not going to enforce this. Um, you know, don't don't call the police department if you see someone not wearing a mask, don't call 911. They're kind of referring everyone to the health department. And so there's just this rampant, just kind of, confusion like you said earlier the word cacophony i think that perfectly describes us we just i mean it's it, it really just makes you question their 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 leadership you know you kind of wonder is this just a gut reaction where they're saying we have to do something let's pass some kind of ordinance who, who cares if it doesn't make sense um, you know, but there are some questioning, do you think maybe this is some kind of a, a trial balloon, you know, where they're trying to just pass these ordinances and say, oh, we're not really going to enforce this and just kind of see how the people take it. Um, you know, maybe, maybe later on, if they have a, a favorable kind of acceptance of this, then they can maybe later on impose something more harsh that they actually will enforce. Um, so there's just a lot. A lot, a lot going on. A lot of uh, mm. uh, strange, strange times. But yeah, you, you know, um, you kind of mentioned earlier we were talking about this. I think this would be, uh, perhaps, if he's willing, a, a great topic for for Mr. Tom Condit to. to It'd be good to have Mr. Condit on to talk us, about yeah. these, this, these, yeah. these contradictory, you know, yeah, rules, regulations being imposed by government, different le levels, yeah. uh, different agencies, and see this kind of thing that that, that just again. Uh, creates anarchy. Uh, there's it just so much. Chaos. Yeah, there's just so much confusion, chaos. Yeah. Nobody knows what's going on. I mean, you read one report, it says one thing. Mm. Another report says another thing, and it's just you know mm. chaos, cacophony. Right. So mm. um, it's, it's well, cacophony. You know, the meaning of the word in Greek is a bad sound or evil sound, and uh, this this discord really it's very. The confidence is a very yeah. bad sound. Yeah. Well, Father, maybe in, in the last couple of minutes here that we have left, I just I did want to read one email. It's um, perhaps a more a more spiritual note that we can end on. Uh, she, this viewer says that some in the world are, are calling for reparation for slavery uh, in the world today. So could you speak about the slavery of sin and true reparation? Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, people who are calling for, for reparations, mm -hmm are saying that since their ancestors arrived here, since their ancestors essentially were sold by, by black tribes in Africa, uh, who profited by capturing them, let's say, in Africa, and then selling them for profit uh, to white slave traders. There were even black slave, slave traders, actually, too. Yes. Uh, that... Um, they now, and, and since their black ancestors worked on slaves, uh, worked as slaves on plantations in the South, uh, 
that they deserve money, that they have a claim to money, to our money. Now we have people themselves who did not grow up in slavery, okay, but they want, they demand that because their grandfathers, great-grandfathers, great-grandmothers uh, did, uh, in fact, uh, arrive as slaves and work as slaves, that we need to pay them. And you might ask, well, why do we need to pay you? I mean, if I followed my ancestry back, I might find that, you know, one of my great-grandfathers arrived as an indentured servant from Ireland or England, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, the status was basically slave labor, right? Uh, if we want to carry it back, why don't we, why don't we say, well, the Muslims were raiding the shores of, northern, of, of Europe, right, the northern Mediterranean, uh, for uh, centuries, their corsairs were burning villages, murdering and carrying slaves back, and now we demand reparations, of, and we demand that they pay for that. Um, I mean, the Barbary pirates were, uh, you know, as recently as, as Thomas Jefferson having to deal with this, right? So, um, I mean, Sure, let's all, let's all go back in our past, realize we have slaves. We had our ancestors who were enslaved, uh, some by um, African uh, Muslims over the years, and others by white, you know, uh, people here on plantations, you know. But let's all go back and say that now people owe me money for what happened back then and uh, what happened to my great-grandfather. And, the, the, you know, the whole idea is extortion. It really comes down to extortion. That's all it is. Nothing less. Bald-faced extortion. And the amazing thing is there are people who actually listen to that and take it seriously. And, again, uh, I can't help but think, you know, they, they talk about Catholic guilt, you know, how Catholics are guilty. And, uh, well, I'll tell you, there's no guilt like a leftist, the leftist guilt. Catholics feel guilty for what they're responsible for. That is sin, okay? That's where we're going with this. Catholics feel guilty for what they're responsible for before God, you know? Uh, they talk about how wrong it is to raise a child with any guilt. Well, you raise, raise a child with any guilt, you raise a child without a conscience, right. who doesn't feel responsible for anything he does. You want an example? Adolf Hitler. Another example? Joseph Stalin. Another example, Mao Zedong, right? All of the communist and fascist and Nazi and uh, national socialist uh, dictators were like that, you know. They all had in common no guilt for all the atrocities they committed whatsoever. You know, they would even boast of these atrocities. And um, would that they had consciences, would that they were capable of feeling guilty for the evil things they did. The Catholic Church teaches us God's law and enables us to have good consciences, to know right from wrong, <clears throat> to be pleased when we do what we believe is the right thing, to feel guilty when we did what was wrong, and we take responsibility for it. But it's a practical guilt in the sense that we know, let's make up for that. Let's fix that. Okay? That's not what this leftist guilt is all about. It's not in any, anything to do with God. And breaking God's law, defying Almighty God, whom we should love above all things, and finally, with our whole heart and soul. <clears throat>
it's all about leftist guilt because there's there's no real faith behind it in God. It's all that these people are upset because they're angry because of perceived injustices, and somehow you know I am showing my righteousness by feeling bad about it. That they say that I did this and my ancestor did this, and so I I have to show my righteousness by acknowledging that, yes, this is a terrible thing that we did, and yes, we're all responsible for it. That's the thing about socialism and social justice. It's like the whole society is guilty for what some people did 100 years ago, or 200 years ago, or 1,000 years ago. The whole society has to be expressed and apologize <clears throat> for what happened all that time ago. And so we, we, we just descend down to these paroxysms of guilt and we have to somehow make reparations. And for some reason, it always turns out to be money. You have to pay them off, right? You have to pay them off. And uh, this, is, this is leftism. This is what the leftists are all about. They're looking for some kind of redemption. They're looking for some kind of redemption for a guilty conscience, but they can't seem to find it. And the idea that others can come up and say, okay, well, you owe me money because of what your ancestors supposedly did to my ancestors, supposedly, you know, even though they can't really make any real connection between what your ancestors did and, and my ancestors. They can't really make it. Somehow you have this global responsibility for what happened. All white people did to all black people. And now I'm one of them. And I demand that you open your pocketbook and you give me your wallet. And it doesn't make any sense at all. But to a leftist, it does. Because the leftists are looking for some kind of a worldly, <clears throat> worldly redemption because they've actually forsaken the whole idea of divine redemption. And they have nothing left to look for. They have nothing left to go on. Except they can be browbeaten into anything, any insane action. Um, <clears throat> no matter how craven it may be. You know. What is it for us? What, what is real redemption for us? What is real repentance for us? What is real reparation for us? We, we do not bow a knee to a, a Black Lives Matter activist because he insists that we do so. Uh, as one black policeman said in Washington, D.C., when he was challenged by a Black Lives uh, Matter individual who might have been white because most of there, there are cases where they have these black lives matter demonstrations that are made up entirely of white people right <laughs> and the black people are there making fun of them saying this is look at how absurd that is <laughs> but it's happened and it is happening now and um again the, the white people seem to think this makes them righteous somehow you know it salves their consciences if they have any um, but this black policeman responded, I do not bow my knee, I do not bend my knee to anyone but by God. That's what he said. I will not do it. He would, it's absolutely intractable. <clears throat> White people are more inclined to do it than black people are. <clears throat> White cops are more, more inclined to do it than black cops are, because they know. The black cops know what these people are all about. And it's not that they're standing up for the black people, they're standing up for, for sure, Marxism and, left, and, 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 the, and the left. <laughs> and law and, you know, chaos and anarchy is what they're standing for. That's what they want you to bow to. So um, when we have reparation to make, we realize that first and foremost, we have to make reparation to Almighty God. And that is reparation for sin. 
And sin is not committed against other people. That's sin against Almighty God. Okay? <clears throat> we offend other people, and God takes that very seriously when we're guilty of a lack of charity or a lack of justice toward each other. God does take that very seriously. Last Sunday's Gospel. If you bring your gift to the altar, and there you realize that your brother has something against you, you're guilty of some injustice or guilty of some lack of charity to your brother, leave your gift there. If your gift is now acceptable to me, to God, he says, go make things right with your brother and then come, then offer your gift. Then your gift will be acceptable. So God does take very, very seriously how we treat each other. <clears throat> we may have to make restitution to each, for each other, for the damage we've done. If I steal money from you, I am obliged to make restitution. By divine law, I'm obliged to make restitution to you and restore what I took from you. If I destroy your property, I have to make good on that. <clears throat> if I spread lies about you and destroy your good name, I have to take the necessary steps to restore your good name, even if in the process of doing so, I have to publicly admit that I lied, that I slandered you, that I'm the guilty party. There are things I have to do to make things right to you. <clears throat> but reparation, ultimately, though, has to be made to Almighty God. Now, that reparation for us was made on the cross by our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God made man. The Son of God become man, offered himself on the cross in sacrifice for you and me. His obedience, and his obedience motivated by the love of his Father, is the great sacrifice of reparation. It's something that you and I could never do. I can pay you back $20 if I steal it for you. But the sin part of it, the fact that I committed a sin, <clears throat> wasn't against you, it was against God, in breaking God's law, in stealing from, your, from you. And so I can, I can refund, restore to you the money I took, <clears throat> but I cannot, I cannot repay the offense against God by my sin. Only Jesus Christ, my Lord, can do that. Um, nonetheless, though, I have to repent of it, and I have to make reparation for it as far as I can. And uh, it is only right and just. It comes back, as I mentioned uh, last Sunday, the virtue of piety, one thing, right? To render to God the things that are God's, first place. And to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. So there are two different things to uh, our relationship with God, what that demands of us, and our relationship with each other, what that demands of us. And uh, I'm afraid when we go into um, liberalism, yet anything that involves the whole idea of what we call it the left, like the left hand of God, right? We're dealing with rejection of God and the divine law. And they're looking for redemption in all the wrong places. And if they're looking for redemption in all the wrong places, they're going to look for reparation in all the wrong ways, too. They're going to constantly get that wrong. The only hope for them is conversion. Conversion to real faith, recognize who their Redeemer is, where reparation really was made on the cross on Calvary. And they have to devote their entire lives then to that Savior who, who gave his life for them on the cross. And really, the only way we can do that is doing what our Lord Jesus Christ said. He said, if you want to be my disciple, you must take up your cross every day and follow me. Right? And that's the only way we can really make anything worthy of reparation to our Lord. We find that 
as traditional Catholics, especially in the Mass. Because there, there in the Mass, we have the unbloody sacrifice of Jesus Christ on Calvary. He's really and truly present there by a miracle, a miracle which we call in theology transubstantiation. But the bread and the wine actually do become his body and his blood, really living, true, uh, crucified, dying, buried, resurrected, glorified. He is there. And he offers himself, representing his death, the consecration of his body and blood. He offers himself for us there, as he did on the cross. And we unite our hearts with him there, and our love with him there. And he pleads for mercy to God, the Father in heaven, from the altar, as he did from the cross. And he pleads to you and me to come and accept God's mercy, and uh, to unite our faith and our hope and our love right, with him there on the altar. Uh, that's where we find ultimately the key of rep all reparation. Right? So, um, Tom, I'll tell you, the, that's the only answer, it's the only solution. People have to find whatever redemption, real redemption there is, whatever reparation is possible, they have to find it there on the cross with our Lord. And in the holy sacrifice of the Mass, which he's given us and commanded us to do, he said, do this in commemoration of me. As often as you do this, you will do this in the commemoration of me. That's what the Mass is. It's a fulfillment of that command of Jesus Christ at the Last Supper. So um, this is what we need to do. You know, I, I'm sorry if I may add a footnote here, too. Okay, and I'm kind of giving a sermon here. I realize <laughs> okay. that. But you asked the question, right? <laughs> or I should say our, our viewer asked the question. So, um, Isn't this exactly what our Blessed Mother asked for at Fatima? It's exactly what she was asking for. She's asking, first of all, that we stop sinning. In other words, the things we do that demand reparation, stop offending God. And then she said, make, make reparation, make reparation for sin. This is what she was saying. And how would we do that? Well, <clears throat> of course, the first step is to stop sinning in the first place. And then to realize that God is still offended by sin throughout the world. And so we need to devote ourselves to... Uh, to prayer and uh, penance and sacrifice, a life of sacrifice like the life of our Lord himself. And what is that sacrifice? Well, he said it himself, take up your daily cross and follow me. It, when doesn't, it's not rocket science, he makes it very, very simple. That's the problem, there's not a lot of fine print um, to explain things away. It's a very practical, step-by-step, day-by-day thing making reparation to God for the sins we've offended him by, by doing what is right and just and charitable and living lives, living our faith, living our, our Catholic religion. Mm -hmm. So with that, I'm going to uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful, turn the floor over to you. Okay. Beautiful thought to end on, Father. I don't think I could add anything to that. So uh, thank, thank you for being well, here. Well, I probably would if you gave me a chance. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for being on. here, Father. Appreciate oh, your time. Certainly, Dan. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, books have been written on this uh, on this very subject. Libraries of books. Yeah. So, uh, I, I was actually being very brief in my response. Okay. <laughs> relatively Thank speaking. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.